Welcome to the Witness and Persecution Podcast with Nick and Ruth Ripkin, where we equip you with biblical principles and practices from believers in persecution to help you cross the street and cross the oceans with the love of Jesus. I'm your host, Anthony Ball, and today Nick and Ruth are going to share where it all started. How did they meet? What led them to this decades-long journey around the globe? Plus, we'll be talking about command versus calling. Is there a difference? And if so, what does that have to do with our lives today and what God has asked us to do through the Great Commission? Nick and Ruth, great to have you today. Why don't you go ahead and kick us off? Share with us about how all of this got started. What did God do from the very beginning to lead you to where you are today? Hello, we're uh, Nick and Ruth Ripkin, and we're so glad that you're letting us into your life and into your hearts today. You know, one of the things that uh, I tell people all the time to sort of introduce uh, who we are, uh, we're both PKs. And if you're if you're from a Christian background, you know what that means, that uh, she's a, a pastor's kid, but I'm a pagan's kid. And uh, we, we sort of feel like that uh, gives us all the spiritual insight and gifts that we really need because Ruth, she cannot remember not knowing Jesus. And I can promise you, in most of my early life, if I heard uh, the name Jesus, it's when my father was expressing uh, his opinion on something that wasn't very, very positive. And so we're, uh, we are those PKs, but what that does is uh, we bring to the table uh, a love for Jesus that uh, Ruth had from in the womb. And, uh, and I, what I bring to the table is, uh, the fact that uh, I didn't know Jesus until I was 18 years of age. And, and, and I know what it's like to go to bed at night and wonder if I died, uh, not only not only where would I uh, go if I died, but I, I never did know where I came from or why I came. And, and so Ruth and I have uh, both of that and in our background and the way that we encountered Jesus and the way that we, uh, God miraculously bring up, brought us together, uh, I think it was a preparation for us going to the nations unlike anyone else. But, you know, for me, my preparation came with a mother and father who loved the nations and loved people who had never heard about Jesus. As a little girl, I could not believe when I was told that there were thousands of people who had never heard about Jesus. My biggest dream was to go to camp where I could meet missionaries. And when I got to that camp as a nine-year-old little girl and met a missionary from China, my heart just bonded with that. And that's what I felt God was saying, I want you to do. I think that was the culmination of a lot of things that my parents did. We had missionaries in our home. We did mission projects in our community. We did things as a family, by, especially at Christmas and at Thanksgiving. And we were totally taught that that's what you did as a follower of Jesus. I can remember my dad laying a map of the world Here on the breakfast go. table. Here we go. <laughs> and on that map, my dad would say, now we know a missionary who lives in one part of the world. And my little brother and I would guess 
we would guess what continent they were on, and then we'd narrow it down to the country. And then when my dad said yes, he would tell us a little bit about what was going on in that country or what that missionary had written uh, him about what they were doing. And so I knew these countries, I knew the names of these places, and it was so important to me when I said, yes, this is what I want to do. But I, I find it astounding that we grew up less than 70 miles apart, and here she was wanting to go to Africa when I thought perhaps she should have come and found me first. But uh, uh, I grew up in a, in a farming uh, construction family. We did construction during the week with our farming on the weekends. Uh, you know what? I remember we built homes for Christians and we remodeled dozens and dozens of, uh, of homes and offices for uh, church people. And never one time, not one time do I remember um, them treating my family like we were all equally human with them. And uh, I, I just remember the way that my father was treated and, and the debt that we owed most of the shop owners around my little 1400 county seat uh, city. And, and, and I don't ever remember a Christian saying to us, uh, uh, would we like to, to go to church with them? I, I don't remember a single time in those 18 years that I spent in in that county in rural Kentucky, uh, one of those Christians that we uh, built their homes or fixed their homes up, ever mentioning the word Jesus. Uh, I, 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 I just, it just never happened. Uh, we did go to church on Easter and, and Christmas, and, and we went uh, in the summertime because uh, uh, for two reasons. If you didn't go to church once a month, you couldn't play church softball, which is the only activity in my county. And secondly, it probably was the number one place uh, uh, to meet uh, uh, people of the female persuasion. But uh, again, uh, 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 us 70 miles apart was, was the difference between a reached and unreached people. And I remember uh, my dad coming to the baseball field which was so unusual. And, and he pulled me out of the game, uh, or it was between innings, and, and he said, uh, Nick, I've got good news and bad news. And he's a pretty rough guy. I'm in the cab of his truck. And I said, well, what's the good news? He said, well, the job that you applied for to work in the cheese factory with Kraft Foods, the only factory in our little county, he said, you got that job. And, and so now you're going to be able to save up enough money uh, to go to college. My brother was the first one in the history of our family to go uh, to school after high school. And now I'm going to get my shot. And I said, well, dad, what's the bad news? He said, you start tonight. I said, dad, I've got 11 weeks of high school left. He said, do you think I'm stupid that I wouldn't know that? I said, well, uh, I've got all of these activities and uh, I've got baseball. I've got the senior play. I've got all of this, and he said, boy, do you want to go to college or you don't want to go to college? I said, I really want to go to college. You th I, I was thinking, do I want to stay here? But I said, I really want to go to college. He said, you start tonight. And so from 11 weeks, last 11 weeks of high school, 
I worked at the factory at seven o'clock at night to 3.30 in the morning. Didn't miss a day of school, but one day I went into a class and I fell asleep in my eight o'clock class and I woke up in the three o'clock class. And the teacher hadn't turned the light on and she told the students if they made loud noises that she was going to fail them because she knew how hard I was working to uh, to try to save money to go to school because uh, you're only allowed to work 20 hours a week. I was working 40 and 50 hours a week and I drew a paycheck past Christmas after starting uh, uh, college because I worked so hard and worked so much. And it was in that factory where I'm working by myself at midnight when I heard uh, someone sneak up behind me and said, Nick, are you tired of running? Are you ready to follow me? And I, I just turned around as quickly as I could, scared to death, wondering who could sneak up on me. The nearest worker was a football field away, and there was no one there. In the next 45 minutes, that happened uh, twice more, and, the, and, and I'm trying to find who is doing this to me. And on the third time, in the depths of my heart, I knew that was the voice of God. And, and with what I knew from the Bible stories that I knew from the vacation Bible schools, mother took us to vacation Bible school growing up before we could work. Because if you have seven kids, you love vacation Bible school. And that woman took us to a number of them, uh, you know, one after the other, from the Methodist to, to the Baptist and whoever else is there. And, and, and so... Uh, I just, I just recognized that was the voice of God, and I, and I got on my knees in that factory, and I gave my life to Jesus, and I went to two pastors after that, uh, the next day between school and work, and, and of the two biggest churches, they told me, "You're not a Christian. God doesn't speak to people directly like that in these days of time," and. The way you become a Christian is by being in church and hearing the preaching of the word. And but you know, I didn't get upset. I, I didn't. It didn't bother me because I knew what had happened in that factory, and it was as certain as as the uh, as my own face in the mirror. And finally, I found this young pastor, and he says, "Wow, it sounds like Jesus has a hold of you," and and he bought me. Oh, my goodness, he bought me a Schofield Bible. If you're under 40, you probably don't know what that is, but it's about this thick and this wide and and, and it's so big. Every page, two-thirds of it is the words of the Schofield writer, and one-third of it is the Bible, and it set me back about 10 years, the theology of the thing. But he said, I want you to read a chapter from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I asked him, what's the Old Testament? What's the New Testament? And he explained it to me. And, and I remember uh, next time I had a free moment, I began to read uh, uh, Genesis. And my I just got goosebumps all over my body because for the first time in my life, I discovered where I came from, where the world came from. And the words just resonated in my soul. In the beginning, God created. My goodness, all kinds of things just became uh, real to me. And, and, and I thought, 
I was going to get kicked out of Christianity. Well, first of all, that young pastor, he told me I was going to have to uh, 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 give away my full scholarship to the University of Kentucky to be a veterinarian and to go to the Baptist College uh, to be a pastor. And I said, why would I want to do that? I've only talked to two in my life, and both of them told me I wasn't a Christian. And and I said, he said, well, it sounds like to me that you want to be full-time in the gospel. And I looked at him puzzled and said, I didn't know I could be part-time. And so because he's the only thing I had in my life, I uh, went to that little Baptist college, and I thought, well, I flunked out of Christianity because in one setting I read the whole book of Genesis, and in one setting, I read the whole book of Matthew, and I didn't know where to go next. But I remember sitting in that hot dorm, Anderson Hall, at a college in rural Kentucky, and reading the very last words of Jesus in Matthew 8 before he ascended to heaven. And, and I had just consumed every word. And, and before Jesus uh, went to heaven, he said, go to all the world. Now, I know when my dad said go, that wasn't a suggestion. That wasn't subjective. And then I, I, I just read in that and, and, and I read where Jesus said, go into all the world. And my first thought was, you mean that I can get out of rural Kentucky and go anywhere I want to in the world? I, I just, every, Every DNA of my body, they, I wanted to do that because uh, uh, I just couldn't imagine anything greater than being sent into all the world. But I, I didn't know any mechanism for that. I didn't know anybody that had ever done that. And uh, it wasn't until I met Ruth and began to hear her story. And about the same time she came to college, I met my first missionary. He was a physician, a surgeon from Thailand, and I thought it was pretty weird because he gave like a 20, 30-minute devotional, but he his name was Dr. Butcher, and he was a surgeon from Thailand with our mission board, and I thought, my, who in the world would want to be operated on by Butcher? And uh, But I went up to him after his little devotional. I said, you mean that your mission board will send me anywhere in the world and I can serve Jesus anywhere. And, and not only that, you'll send me and you'll you'll give me a salary. And he said, son, I've never really been asked a question like that before. But the, the short answer is yes, uh, that, that's what we do. And I said, uh, I, I, uh, where, where do I apply? I'll go tomorrow. And he looked at me and he smiled. And he said, I think you've got a few more hoops to jump through uh, than that. And all of, all of that, that, that shows you just how uh, new I was to the faith and the practices of the faith. Whereas not only did Ruth grow up with that map on the table, I, I don't ever remember seeing a map at all growing up. And if you wanted to go somewhere, somebody told you where to turn and how do you go. If you got lost, you stopped and asked somebody. But you know, for us, Tennessee, Ohio, that those would be foreign countries. But uh, later on, as I listened to Ruth's story, I was just amazed at, at, at the things that influenced her life and what she'd been doing the whole time growing up.
Yeah, when I had decided that as that nine-year-old little girl that God wanted me to go to the nations, I told people about it. And they encouraged me to write the mission board. And as I did, um, I would write and say, you know, I'm nine years old. I want to do this. Nine years old. And they wrote me back and they said, here's what we want you to do. Every year you write us, tell us where you are in the process and what you're doing. And we'll encourage you in helping you find the right avenues. And then as you grow older, we'll help you. And so every year I did that. I wrote a letter. I explained where I was. They would send me materials and I would begin to pray. As a junior in college, I got to go to Africa, which was where... I, I raised the funds for her. Oh, yes. And I, it was it was exactly what I wanted to do. So as a junior in college, <laughs> I went to Africa for the summer. And I knew this is exactly what I wanted to do and what God wanted me to do. And I wanted to walk in obedience. Uh, I came back to college to finish my senior year. And Nick and I began thinking about uh, what our future might look like. And as we talked about it and began to anticipate what God might do with us together, we began to think about marriage. Um, we decided to go talk to my parents, as the tradition has it. Now, the biggest act of rebellion in Ruth's entire life was taking me home to her parents. I mean, I didn't know at that time that Christians had their own language. And I'm off the farm, and I use farm language, and I talk about things that are normal that I found out in her house aren't normal. But the biggest act of rebellion was her dragging, no, letting me go home with her. And, and by the first conversation, her parents were deeply concerned. And my dad was a little scary to Nick. Um, oh, yeah. As a pastor, he was a little bit of a big man and had a deep voice. And it was really scary as we went into that living room and sat with my mom and my dad. And Nick said, I want to marry your daughter. And my dad did not look at Nick. No, he did not acknowledge I was in the room. <laughs> he looked at me and he said, Ruth, what about your desire to serve Jesus? overseas. And I looked at my dad and I said, that's what we want to do. And we want to do it together. And my dad looked at me and he said, then Ruth, I bless you. Wow. If you're going to be obedient to what God's asked you to do, and you're wanting to do it together, then I bless you mm -hmm. in that process. That was such a unbelievable witness to me to see a father that also, you know, didn't know whether this redneck was the right person for his daughter, but he recognized that our relationship was built on obedience uh, to go and do what Jesus had commanded to do us to do, and and to watch him bless us at that moment was just an amazing, holy spiritual experience. So then it was time to go to the the foreign mission board at that time. We went through the process. We filled out all the applications. And I will say that probably one of the best growing learning tool that we ever did was to do the mission uh, application process. 
because it helped us understand the areas that we were lacking in, areas that we were good in. We had to seek through, sift through our history and our testimony and know exactly what we were getting ready to do. I think you've already surmised that uh, I grew up with English as a second language. You know, we spoke a different kind of language in rural Kentucky and and they did send us tickets and we went down and, and we walked into this room and there's three guys in suits, these three vice presidents sitting together and, and had us in hard chairs at one end of, of their little semicircle and the other. And uh, they, they asked Ruth to tell her story. And she talked about, uh, you know, uh, loving Jesus at six years old and the mission stuff at nine years old. And, and they had pulled out all of her letters. There's a stack of them about three inches thick. And they've got all these letters that they had read through that she had written all of those years up until the year before. And they look at her like, wow, this is the best product that our that our denomination makes. And, 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 and you just could see they're going to name an offering after her, you know, someday in the future. And then they picked up my one page application. That was my whole history with them. And and they said to me, after looking at uh, the darling of the denomination, and they said, uh, uh, Nick, uh, share with us about your call uh, to foreign missions. I said, I read Matthew 28. They said, you don't you don't understand. You don't understand, son. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm not your son, but you, you don't understand that with this mission board, you, you have to have a, a special call to missions. I said, well, you know, I read Matthew 28 and Jesus told me to go and I'm trying to go and it, and it feels like you're, you're trying to stop me. And they looked at each other and, and they turned away from Ruth and turned toward me. And for honestly, the next 30 plus minutes, they gave me a sermon, a fourfold sermon on call. And they said, with our mission board, for you to go to Africa or anywhere in the world, you have to have a, a call to salvation, a, a call to ministry, a third call uh, to missions, and a fourth call to a specific place. And when they finished, they looked at me so proudly and they said, and what would be your response to that? And, and I, I was so green in, in denominational interaction, let's say at that time, I thought they wanted me to respond. And I said to them, it sounds like to me that your mission board has created a fourfold call uh, to missions that allows you to be disobedient to what Jesus has already commanded you to do. Well, that went over so big. And, and I look at the corner of my eye and Ruth's crying. Tears are coming down this nine-year-old girl's uh, cheeks. And I'm saying, oh, my goodness. I have just cheated her out of her lifelong dream of, of going to Africa. It's really some of it her fault. She didn't teach me the secret passwords that the mission board would have. But you know what? They wanted her so much that, that after a few weeks, they sent us an acceptance letter. And then 
months later, uh, we get ready to go to training. They sent us four uh, airplane tickets uh, to Malawi in East Africa, and they sent our uh, five-year-old son, our three-year-old son, and Ruth a round-trip ticket to Malawi, and they sent me a one-way ticket. Now, that's real subtle. Isn't it? That's just really subtle. And so, uh, but, but in spite of all of that, uh, we, we landed in a place that just quickly captured our hearts. I think the thing that we want to allow you to think about as we uh, enter into this conversation with you over these next months is what are you teaching your children? How are you blessing them to do what God has asked them to do? When they come to you and talk about things, are you blessing them? Are you helping them? Are you bringing people into your home and around your table so that they can meet the nations that are living right next door to us, even today? And more and more, they are getting closer and closer, and they desperately need us to open our homes open our hearts, mm. allow our children to be their children's friends and allow them to see what God can do with them. Now, you know that you've got a little bit of context and what Uncle Nick and who Aunt Ruth are. Uh, maybe you would understand when I say, I, I, I am the spiritual leader of our home. I find where Ruth wants to go and I lead her there. That's being a pretty smart man. And it, it fulfills uh, 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 scriptures and it's true to scripture. And, and when mama's happy, uh, everybody's happy. But you know what? We're 40 years down the road. We're 40 years down the road. And I still believe it's a command. If you are a follower of Jesus, you've been commanded to go. And in Acts 1, 8 and following, uh, Jesus just spelled that out more clearly. He said, I'm commanding you to go to Jerusalem, go across the street, go to Judea a little bit further, usually to the next race of people. That's a tough one. If you do that, you'll go anywhere else in the world. But we'll save that for another time. You, you, go, you, you go to Jerusalem, you go to Judea, you go to Samaria. And if you're really lucky, you get to go to the ends of the earth. You, you get to go, and, and and now a boy that never left Kentucky but a couple of times uh, to cross the Ohio border to watch the Cincinnati Reds play baseball, and now we've got about 80 countries uh, uh, behind us uh, because of a lot of things that we uh, would love to share with you. But again, don't let me leave the thought. And And the church has got this confused. If you are a follower of Jesus, you've been commanded to go. You, 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 you don't need to worry about that. You don't need to debate about that. You don't really have to pray about that. You, you've been commanded by the God of the universe to go. A, a call, a command is to everywhere. A call is to a specific place for a specific time of your life that, that we're God sends you and he might move you from X to Y and Z. That's what a, a call is. And today, if you are a follower of Jesus, where has Jesus called you? People come up us, 
to us all the time. And they say, Uncle Nick, uh, I would do what you're doing and what you and Ruth and the boys have done if only God would call me to do that. I said, you need to go read Matthew 28. Jesus doesn't have to call you when he's commanded you. And, and so we'll help you once you understand the command is there and you need to be obedient to that. Then, then we've got the joy of figuring out where, where does God want you for this season of your life? And it, it is as important for you to cross the street as it is to cross the oceans. But listen, we're going to have a lot of conversations to, uh, uh, with you and, uh, Aunt Ruth mentors so many women around the world, and she's got so much wisdom to offer, and, and I'm stealing a whole lot of her stuff. But we, want just, we just want to express love for you, and, and, and we, we're going to be talking many times about the connection between witness and persecution as we travel down this road together. But just remember, uh, take this to your prayer closet or when you lay that map on your table, or you open up the book and you read again, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and get ready for an adventure with Jesus and the Father in heaven through the Holy Spirit that cannot be recreated by anyone else in the universe. Absolutely, and what a journey that is for all of us who are believers in Jesus. Nick and Ruth, thank you so much for your wisdom and sharing these stories and learning about what God is is doing and has done in your lives. I wanted to ask a couple of questions and dive in a little bit deeper to some of the things that you mentioned. Uh, Ruth, you mentioned this specifically, is this idea of blessing and blessing children and blessing when they have uh, questions, what they want to talk about and things like that. Uh, what would you say, because we hear a lot of people in uh, in our culture and in our church communities, we hear a lot of people who uh, they they desire to do more, whether they want to go overseas, they want to be more obedient, whatever that looks like. And they often encounter resistance from mom and dad. They encounter resistance from family and it makes it so much harder. And sometimes they, they even question maybe that command to, to go because they're getting resistance from even from their own family and from churches, how do we how do we speak to those people? I think there's a lot more out there than we would realize who mom and dad are okay with them doing this Christian thing as long as they don't go too far radical of moving to another country or moving or taking grandkids to another place. What do you say to that? How do we really minister to and impact people who have experience that kind of resistance as they desire to go further in their obedience. Right now, the thing we know is workers, missionaries who go to the nations who have been blessed to be on the, on, on that, in that place, they, we find them a lot more uh, useful and more able to do what they've been called to do in that location than those who have not been blessed by their family, by those in their church. And often we find that especially young ladies who encounter parents who are very resistant to them coming, they deal with a lot of extra stress. 
it's an extra stress to live in a third culture. But when you add that their parents are not interested in them being there, you see a heaviness in their hearts and a heaviness in their mm. ministry. And so um, somehow we have to take up the slack for families who are not blessing their children to go. If young ladies feel called to go, we need to be there to say, you know, we're going to stand in the gap for you. We're going to be the one who calls you and checks on you. And we're going to be friends to your parents until your parents realize this is the greatest joy that they can give their children is to bless them, to go, to pray for them, to go visit them. And so I think that's that's just a, a, a bit of what, what I would share with you on that. But it is a vital part of going, uh, having that blessing uh, bestowed upon you. Yeah, as, as a teaser, as we unpack this in the future, Ruth and I can tell when a couple arrive or a young single lady or single guy arrives, we can tell within a couple of days mm. uh, whether they've been blessed by their parents or not. We can tell. Wow. And secondly, uh, the thing that we have to talk about with a great deal of candidness, we've got to be candid, going to be honest, and we're going to do our best to be, as it says in the scriptures about Jesus being filled with truth and with grace. But non-Christians, pagans like my family were, non-Christians bless their children to be missionaries overseas more than church members do. Mm. Mm. Wow. And that will take some unpacking, but it'd be good for you uh, listeners to, uh, to think about that and, and, and try to uh, think why, why, how could that be true? Mm. And if it's true, uh, what are the dynamics of that, that actually people who don't know Jesus I don't want to give away very much because there's a lot here to talk about, but non-Christians bless their kids to go overseas more uh, than church people. And mm. so uh, you, you hit on a, a, a really big nerve, and it's one we're going to talk about uh, for a long time together. I love it. I'm looking forward to hearing about that. I want to go back to the very beginning for a second because inquiring minds are going to want to know how did you meet? What was the circumstance? <laughs> we want to know. Well, the, it was the, the uh, people want to hear. A friend, a friend of mine, a friend of mine from Baltimore, Maryland. He's a big old goofy guy. We called him Okie Doki. Uh, I remember <laughs> his name is it's Ed, but uh, Ed and I set up a table. In the hallway, we didn't ask anybody whether we could do it, but it was freshman orientation. And we set up a, a table and put uh, materials on it for our uh, campus ministry, uh, for uh, back then what was called the Baptist Student Union. And, and uh, we, we, we just dressed it up with things that we found in the office. And, and, uh, and we were just people walking by. We would just invite them. Uh, to devotionals and things that were going on. And, and I looked up and here came Ruth down the hallway. My goodness. I was, uh, <laughs> I was almost struck, you know, dumb and blind. And, 
and she walked up to the table and <laughs> or and and I said to her, you know, can we interest you uh, in campus ministry? Uh, and we're part of the Baptist Student Union, and and she she did this really prissy Christian thing, and and uh, and she said, uh, my dad is a pastor, and, and I'll be very involved in in campus ministry and and uh, and in the Christian. Uh, community and and she turned and walked away and walked up the stairs and I looked at Okie Dokie and I said I'm going to marry that woman <laughs> and he laughed he said oh you say that all the time about the pretty ones which is not true I don't think uh, a lot of things I could choose to forget but I walked up the stairs just to make sure that she understood that she had a personal in- invitation uh, to uh, our our devotional time and prayer time and. And it was like he had eyes in the back of his head. I could see her uh, to the side of this great big giant of a man. And before I could get maybe five yards to them, this huge man turned around and looked me in the eye. And I realized he was her father. And he looked at me like, uh, if you want to die, come closer, you know. And I decided, (laughs) you know, he's going home in a few hours. And so... Uh, I'll follow up our invitation to campus ministry once he gets in the car. <laughs> and he did. I'm so impressed. And I'm but so I, impressed that you. I, I was. Re- oh, go ahead. I was a real foolish person because uh, we'll get into this in, in subsequent conversations, but I have never seen a marriage that worked. I never in my own home it was a civil war and and um, mm. and, and and so I I never saw one that actually was something that I would want to be a part of and so it took three long years of uh, doing some hard growing up and and having Ruth being very patient uh, for me to circle back and do what I should have done years before. Wow. It's incredible. And I am really impressed that uh, her dad was so frightening, even from the very first encounter, and you still went after her. I mean, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> but the truth is, I was scared to death of his dad, too. So <laughs> My dad never gave me any dating advice whatsoever. None. I guess with six boys and the last born, the seventh one was a girl. Uh, he never, ever got involved. But when he met Ruth, he walked by me and he just made it clear. But as he walked by me, he said, if you don't keep this one, don't you come back home. <laughs> and it worked out perfectly. It really did. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah that was the best advice he ever gave me. <laughs> you know, you did pretty well for yourself for having not mm-hmm. had any advice beforehand. Oh my goodness! It's a, it's the grace of God and the grace of Ruth. Nick and Ruth, thank you so much for your time and sharing that incredible information with us. And thank you to our listeners. We do hope that you are inspired and equipped to go across the street and across the oceans with the good news of Jesus. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the Witness and Persecution podcast with Nick and Ruth Ripkin. You can also find out more about our ministry and additional resources, including 
how to support Nick Ripkin Ministries, simply go to our website, www.nickripkin.com. Again, for more information about our ministry, find us at www.nickripkin.com. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you again next time.